hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey there, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. This week, I want to talk about adversity. Uh, When I do talks, I often say, don't wait for adversity, you know, get out there and do your big thing before something goes wrong, because, you know, in this world, chances are something just might. Today's guest is Kate Gale, and uh, she has had a fair bit of adversity, and she's come out the other end with two books, and uh, you know, speaking and helping people to overcome stuff. So this is going to, you are going to love this podcast. It's really, really raw. It's on the table, but it's fantastic stuff. Let me tell you about Kate. Kate Gale grew up in Sale in Gippsland in a very loving family. She had three dreams in life. One, to be a hairdresser. Two, to get married to the man of her dreams. And three, to become a mum. She nailed all three dreams by the time she turned 24 However, being diagnosed with breast cancer was not in her life plan. She wrote her first book, The Breast Is Yet to Come, while going through breast cancer treatment in 2012 and has recently released her second book, Thanks for the Memories, in 2020. Thanks for the Memories is an honest recount of her journey with cancer. After being diagnosed at the young age of 27 with breast cancer, she fought a hard uphill battle, stared it in the eye, and won. She may have won the cancer battle, but along the way, picked up a little thing called anxiety. Five years later, as life was getting back to normal, tragedy struck her young family again when her husband was diagnosed with renal cancer. What followed was the biggest curveball that Kate had been handed to date when roles were reversed, and she was sitting on the other side of a cancer diagnosis. It opened her eyes to life, what was important, who was important, and which direction she wanted to go in. It also forced Kate to own up to the fact that she hadn't dealt with what she had been through, and she needed to take control of her anxiety and learn how to live with it. Having seen both sides of the disease from two different perspectives, Kate knew she had to break down the barriers that surrounded cancer. Her positive, inspiring, and honest attitude towards her battles are not only refreshing to some, but something that will leave you wondering what is important to you. Kate shows people how dreaming big, giving back, and having a never-give-up kind of attitude can turn a negative into a positive while continuing to smile. Kate now lives in Ballarat with her husband, Bob, and two teenage daughters, Bree and Gemma. She hung up the hairdressing scissors five years ago and is now, funnily enough, working as a practice manager in an allied health practice. She continues to raise funds for cancer research while speaking and raising awareness about cancer, fighting anxiety, and how she found her new normal. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Karen. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I reckon you're a bloody gun. You're doing amazing stuff. I'm so happy to have you. Well, coming from you, that's that's pretty awesome. Thank you. Ah, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, some say I'm a lunatic, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll be good friends then. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. You, you, um, so you know, you've, I've, I've got your second book here, which we're going to talk about. Anyone, anyone's watching on the visual, it's uh, here. Thanks for the memories. And Kate also has it in the background of her video. So if you are only listening, go to the YouTube. Uh, show and watch this but Kate thank you for sending me that book I'm going to talk about it further into the interview Um, but you've also got another book um, as we said in the intro the breast is yet to come are you holding that up there we go (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, beautiful bras on the front. That's fantastic. Oh, it's about boobies, so I had to have something there for us. <laughs> we won't make the whole conversation about boobies, but I, it is um, it is quite poignant, you know, and, you know, I, I lost my sister. Well, she started, she had breast cancer and, you know, uh, had a mastectomy and but ended up losing her from other, you know, uh, brain tumour and, and a lot of other stuff. But, um I think that, you know, there's, I, I've seen her go through it and I imagine you had the same feelings that, you know, you start to, uh, you, your body becomes in your mind, you know, deformed and you're not the whole person that you used to be. And I think that um, we, we, you know, we hear when people have a mastectomy and we kind of say, oh, oh well, at least they got it, you know, but I think that sometimes we forget about the the mental health and the, and the, the, the challenge it is for the the woman, you know, feeling less of a woman and all those things are not true, but those things that go through your mind. So, you know, boobs are important and I don't think we realise, you know, how, how much we're attached to them and until we have to deal with, uh, you know, those feelings. So would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. And um, you, you actually touched on a point there that that I always speak about um, and that was you know, that you're less of a woman. And I used to get asked that so many times. And honestly, hand on heart, I can say I didn't mind having the mastectomy because I knew that was going to get rid of the cancer or that was my best chance of getting rid of the cancer. However, I didn't know the implications that were going to happen after that. And like you said, the mental health side of things. And, you know, in one, one moment I'm saying to myself, I don't care that my boobs gone. I'm glad because the cancer's gone. But, you know, it's the ball gets rolling with going shopping changes because you can't, you know, wear certain clothes or, you know, lots of things get taken away from you and you don't realise that in the moment. So that was a really good point to make that, um, you know, a lot of people will brush it off and go, oh, yeah, but the cancer's gone. But there's a lot of things that follow that you don't realise are going to happen. <laughs> and and that's, um, that's a tough when you just said, you know, a lot of people say, well, at least the cancer's gone, that's actually quite an interesting uh, comment in itself or, or, or part of the journey itself is that it's, 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 it's a, a catch-22 because people don't know what to say and then they say things like, oh, well, at least you've got it, you know, um, chin up, you know, and stuff like that. And, and you kind of, for the person hearing that, it's kind of like, well, that's quite dismissive. But on the other hand, it's very difficult for the person with, um, who, the other person who's, who's just saying it to you, it, it's hard to know what to say. Do you know, it's, you want to be positive and I, Yeah, I myself don't, still don't know what to say. I still don't know what to say to people. And and like you said, I've been in that position. I've, you know, I had one woman say to me um, when I told her I had breast cancer and she said, oh, it can't be too bad. You've still got your hair. 
Oh dear, yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, yeah, you don't get it. Mm. <laughs> um, so moving right along. But at the same time, that's all she knows about cancer. That's all she's been, you know, someone's got cancer, they go through chemo, they lose their hair, but that's not necessarily the case. No. Um, so, yeah, talking about it is a big thing in my book. Um, but from from the fighter's point of view, like the person that has the cancer, I always say to new people that are coming to me and say, this person said that, this person said that, I bring them back on track and say exactly what you just did. People don't know what to say to you and people say stupid things. So you just have to keep remembering that they are there to help. They are trying to understand. However, if you don't teach them or you don't um, come back with a comment of, well, actually, you know, and like I said, teaching them, um, they don't know. They don't know. So always remember that people are trying to be there for you and trying to care and trying to understand, but they just don't. Mm. And they won't, you know, unless they've been through it. But you can teach them to, to go, you know what, I know you don't know what to say and that's okay. I'm just still Kate. Just speak to me like you used to speak to Kate. Just because I've got cancer, mm. I'm still me. We don't have to talk about it, but I'm still me. So, yeah, yeah just be upfront and, and say it. It's just such a difficult conversation and, you know, and and everyone's got their own perceived opinions and their own perceived, um, I guess, perceptions and understandings about what, what cancer means. And, and you know, like, uh, you know, when I remember when my sister got it, you know, I didn't see C for cancer, I saw D for death, you know, straight away, immediately, that's what I saw. Yep. And it, 100%. <laughs> so it, it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing, but, but at the same time, it's got to be spoken about. We have to normalise it. Um, I, I hate that we have to normalise it because I hate how indiscriminate um, cancer is and it just, you, you know, and, and particularly kids, but it doesn't matter, anyone going through it. But um, I just, I, I just hate it. However, it is more and more prevalent, you know, and, and I think that, it's better if we do talk about it because then people understand how what people are going through and they also understand, you know, exactly what we've talked about. What should I say? What could I say? How, you know, that sort of stuff. So what you're doing is absolutely brilliant, you know, in that you're trying to, you, through your books and through your talks, you know, you're trying to normalise it or at, at least bring it to the surface so that people can have conversation about it. And I, I think it's you know, wonderful. And, and and this podcast about get off the bench and you're, you've obviously gotten off the bench. You just continue to get off the bench. You, you know, you're a go-getter, um, you know, from the start. Take us back a bit because you had, um, you know, three goals to achieve, right? And you uh, want to be a hairdresser. You want to get married to the man of your dreams and, and become a mum. And so um, you, you did that, right? I did do that. I did do that. Not exactly... Not exactly reach for the star dreams like the kids have of today, but they were my three dreams. So, yeah. So you, you, go, you go after everything that you want to do, hence writing the books and that sort of stuff. But, you know, beforehand, so you've got your, you've achieved your dreams and you're sort of, you know, what, what's next? You know, what can I achieve next? I'm damn sure uh, cancer wasn't on your, on your to-do list and your, your go-getter list. So, you know, Tell us about the Kate Gale and your big plans for life, the one the Kate before cancer uh, took, took, shook up everything. 
This is a really good question because nobody has ever asked me this before. Um, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always in that. She's the cancer chick. We're going to talk about that, and um, I love that we're stepping outside of that. So, like you said, I had my three dreams. Um, I, I have always had a feeling that I was put on this earth to do something big, and but what that big is, I have no idea. Um, and I still think I haven't hit that big yet. I'm still climbing that ladder to get to it. But um, I loved hairdressing. Hairdressing was from the minute I could walk and talk, I wanted to be a hairdresser. Um, and to get my apprenticeship and, um, you know, the husband and the kids just sort of fell um, into that. But I wanted to go as far as I could with my hairdressing, um, you know, to be teaching others the skills of the industry and um, making people feel good about themselves, making, you know, it's it's not, you know, okay, it's a part of the beauty industry, but I wasn't that um, hairdresser that had to have a hair done, primped and preened, and, you know, I wasn't the typical hairdresser, um, so to speak. So, yeah, before cancer, it was probably just to make my mark in the hairdressing world in some way, shape or form. Um, but apart from that, I was just a I was just a good country girl, <laughs> you know, really loving family and really close with my family. So, um, you know, that was my thing. I just I wanted to be like my mum and dad and, and give my kids the upbringing that I had and at the same time being that awesome hairdresser on the sideline. Yeah. Well, that's not a bad dream because uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think that some of us could be a little more content with what we have in front of us and just be grateful for having a a, a good a good wholesome life, you know. And I think we get a little bit <laughs> ungrateful at times. So, so you know, I know you didn't want to talk about. And by the way, if anyone notices a difference in sound or look, we just had to swap. Kate's computer just crashed on us, so we've we've <laughs> and it was making a funny noise too. So we just change over to the iPad. But anyway, so you'll notice you may notice a difference. Maybe it's just me. I'm just an, I'm just anal. Now, Kate, you didn't really want to talk about. I, I we have to talk about the cancer, but I'm glad we talked about who who is Kate. You know, behind all that sort of stuff. But you know. You were only 27. I'm pretty sure that's what I saw. 27. Like, you know, that's still young. You're still having big dreams. You're still kind of, you know, I'm going to be the, I'm going to do all my hairdressing dreams and I don't need to be, you know, a New York runway show pony, but I still want to do that. And and so tell us about your diagnosis. Like, and, and, and the reason I want to get into it a little bit is because I think that. Oh, I guess we all think, uh, oh, no, look, I'm, I'm young. I'm not going to get stuff like that. I don't need to check, do, you know, and, and you know, uh, we, we need to be better at that. We need to take care of ourselves a lot more. And I, I, I can talk, but um, we do. So maybe what you say will prompt somebody to, you know, just pay a bit more attention to themselves. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, my my diagnosis came about when I was in a salon um, and I was talking to a client who was very guarded every time I went around her left side and she'd sort of, you know, pull away from me and I thought, what is going on here? She got like a nervous twitch or, you know, what's happening? And I said to her eventually, I said, are you okay? And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I've just been diagnosed with breast cancer. I've just had surgery and, and I'm scared every time you go around that side that you're going to hit you know knock me and um 
and it's going to be sore. And, you know, of course, straight into the whole, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry that you've been diagnosed with cancer, but then that dialogue going over in your head of, crap, what do you say, you know, to this woman? But um, thankfully she actually saved me in that moment because she started to speak and she said, now I hope you do your breast checks. And I said, yeah, of course I do. Um, And that wash of guilt just came straight over me because I never had done a self-breast examination. The only time that my breasts had been checked was by my um, obstetrician when I was pregnant with both of my girls. So here I am lying to this this client. Um, But, yeah, I had checked. But um, the next morning I was in the shower and I thought of her and I thought, do a self-breast examination, Kate. Um, So I did. And to my horror, um, so 12 o'clock, right at the top of my right breast, um, I found a lump. So, yeah. So in, you know, in in the big scheme of things, that woman saved my life because, Mm. Mm. um, you know, it was a roller coaster from then on. I went straight to the doctor and I got checked and, and I got told, um, you've just got mastitis. Um, I'd not long finished breastfeeding Gemma, my youngest. Um, and that didn't sit right with me because I thought, I'm not sick. I, I'm fine. Like, I've got a lump, but I don't have any other um, mastitis symptoms. So three weeks later, um, and I kept feeling this lump and it was bigger. And so I went back to the doctor and I said, look, I'm, I'm just a bit you know, weirded out about it because it's bigger um, and it's sore. And she said, well, that's a good sign because breast cancers aren't sore. I went, yeah, righto. So <laughs> off I go. Um, had another ultrasound and get told that it's just mastitis. Um, and then a week later, Gemma climbed over me and she put her elbow into my, my boob and I nearly went through the roof. Wow. And I went back to the doctor and I was actually sitting in the waiting room and I'm talking to myself thinking, Kate, you're over-exaggerating. Like you've been a hypochondriac. You've been here twice before to have this looked at. There's nothing wrong with it. Like just forget it, go away. And I stood up to walk out and the doctor came out and called my name and I went in and I just burst into tears and I said, something is not right. And I feel like I'm taking up so many people's time and energy in this but something is not right um and she sent me for a mammogram at that point and she did say to me that it may not show anything because young women breast tissue is still too dense to actually see through the mammogram but we've been there done it with an ultrasound twice so let's go another avenue um so I had that done and I went home and it was about two hours later, she called me and she said, Kate, is somebody with you? And I said, oh, I've got the girls. The girls are here with me. And she said, where's Bob? I went, he's at work. And I said, come on, just give it to me. And she said, Kate, it looks malignant. And she said, I've actually booked you in to see the breast surgeon at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. So what came from, you know, a client just saying to me, you know, do breast checks and and thank God she started that conversation because, you know, I, I wouldn't have found it and mm. and I wouldn't I wouldn't still be here. Yeah. Wow. So God. very brave. 
you know, there's two two parts to that. One is that, you know, people do come in. It's almost like when we're not paying attention, the universe sends people in, you know, almost like angels sends them in to uh, alert us. And, you know, we need to be um, we need to be noticing, you know, when when things like that are a little bit not right because her her dodging you you know it's kind of like it's enough it's enough to set your mind going what the hell you know what's this isn't normal you know that sort of stuff but the other part of that is you know don't um I don't care who's listening and I don't care who disagrees with me don't trust your doctor and and I I'm going to say that a thousand times because I've had the same with my I've had my thyroid out and and three times I went back and they said there's nothing wrong and I kept persisting but um it's you know and that wasn't cancerous thank god but you know it it could have been and it could have been a disaster and I just think that we intuitively know, we intuitively know um, our bodies. And I, I think it's embarrassing. You feel like, oh, they're the authority. I'm not, you know, I'm going to feel, I'm going to think I'll look at me like I'm a hypochondriac, all the things you're saying. But I think if we don't, we only get one shot, you know, we only get one body and we get one shot. And so what if, so what if you're wrong? Because isn't it better to be wrong and be embarrassed than to be exactly right a right and be dead you know so it's really I mean I don't mean to say that's such a brutal way but at the end of the day if you don't pick up these things you know your body can only take so much and it and it it overcomes you so I'm glad you've talked about that because we put so much faith in doctors and they're not yeah. always they're not always right. They're human beings as well. That, that is exactly exactly right. What you just said. They're they're human beings and they do make mistakes. Hmm. Um, and it's not necessarily um, you know that I didn't trust my doctor. I did trust my doctor. I just knew something else was not right. So I always say that to patients from now on that that I speak to. Um, if you don't feel comfortable with your doctor, you find another one. Hmm. Yeah, and don't think that that's going to hold up your treatment and stuff. It's not. It's like you need to 100% trust who you're putting yourself in their hands of because, you know, going through it, like you said, your body takes so much, but your mind takes a hell of a lot more. So if you're struggling with, um, you know, your mind and, and that you don't feel comfortable and and that you feel that they're not listening to you or something's not right. Like you need that's you need up here to be to be right before you can tackle anything else. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think we we're bad at that. We're terrible at that. You know, we we think well, I've got to focus on my body. But if your your mind controls your body, I don't care what anybody says. If your mind's not right, your body's bloody useless. You know, and we have to be on it. We have to be feeling yeah. good about ourselves mentally. Now that you wrote the book, the breast is yet to come in two thousand twelve. What year did you get? What year was your diagnosis? Um, so I actually started writing it in two thousand eight. So that was the year of my diagnosis. Um, okay. And I didn't publish until two thousand and twelve. Um, but I wrote it as a diary. Um, it was my, it was my therapy, mm. like get things down onto, you know onto paper and my thoughts and um I suppose the biggest thing when I was going through it and and I still carry this a lot with me um I felt guilty that I was doing this to my family and Mm -hmm. I know that it wasn't my choice to get cancer but 
I needed them to hold me up. I I had a really big brick wall in front of me and, and from the outside looking in, you would have thought that I was just um, the strongest person that you could ever imagine going through this. But I felt like if I offloaded to people um, and they saw some cracks that they would start to crumble too. Yeah. And I couldn't have them crumble. I needed them to hold me up. So writing, that was my outlet. That was my, I'm having a shit day. I'm going to put it down. Um, or, you know, I feel this or I feel that. I'm angry or I'm bloody, you know, happy. I'm hungry, whatever. I put it down. Um, and it was never, ever put down to be made into a book. That wasn't wasn't what I was going for. That was my diary. That was just my my therapy. So Oh, well, I love it. And I love the, the I love the title. The um the breast is yet to come. So that, you know, like for getting a, a, a fake boob, you know, that's the first bit. But and also it's it also sort of inspires a bit of hope, you know, that that, that there is hope, there is optimism. You know, I, I am um counting on, you know, getting through this and and you know, coming out the other end. But I also love that um it, I love that it's a journal. I love that. And because the the reason is that. You know, people can write books on on this is this is how it works and this is how how it is and it you know that kind of stuff and all the factual stuff and and you read it and you feel overwhelmed and I know I've been there you know I've been there with this through this with my sister you read it you feel overwhelmed you know with all the the, the medical stuff and everything else but when you're reading a book like yours do you know well this is how I feel today and and it's a roller coaster and it it actually. When, when people are going through things, they feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel like they're the only ones that are uh, feeling this or going through this. Or I see other people going through cancer. They're not um, punching walls or they're not screaming at the cat and they're not bursting into tears every five minutes. They seem to have their shit together. So then when they read your journal, it's kind of like, oh, well, now I don't feel alone. You know, this is this is normal to go through these um this roller coaster of emotions. So, I think it's a, a, probably a very good um, companion for people to have, you know, while they're going through that sort of stuff. Is is that is that why you ended up publishing it? Just that kind of thought process. I I was sort of pushed into publishing it. <laughs> um, I I went to a hairdressing show, and it was the first one that I'd been to you know, since I'd been diagnosed. And and like I said earlier, I wasn't that, you know, this is horrible to any hairdresser thinking, you know, listening, but the Barbie hairdresser, I wasn't that person. So to walk into a room, um, a hairdressing night with all of these beautiful women with their faces on and their hair done, and here I am still carrying a hell of a lot of weight from the steroids from treatment. Um, and I had about two inches of hair on my head. So I felt like a fish out of water. But the woman that was, um, she was like the MC and speaking most of the night, she came out and she started getting stuck into girls sitting in the front row that had dyed fingernails and, and um, oh, wow. you know, dye all over their hands and stuff. And she's like, do you have no idea the chemicals that you are dealing with? And to, you know, it might look cool or you might think that you're cool because you're a hairdresser and you've got dyed um, fingernails and stuff, but 
It's not. Like you're putting your health at risk. And I'm sort of sitting there thinking, oh, my God, someone in the hairdressing industry finally had the balls to say, look after yourselves. Like we're dealing with some pretty full-on chemicals here. I do not blame hairdressing for giving me cancer. I will never know the answer for why I got cancer. I've let that ship sail and just it is what it is. But I emailed this woman afterwards and I just said, thank you so much for saying what you did because it's so left of field. Normally it's like, you know, oh, this is this and this is that. And, and those really hard conversations are never had. So I said, thank you so much. And she emailed me back and she said, wow, who the hell are you and why didn't you come and speak to me? I said, oh, I've got kids, had to get home. Oh, I didn't want to say I feel like a 10-ton Tessie with two inches of hair on my head and I didn't want to be a centre of attention. Um, but we got emailing back and forth for quite some time and lo and behold, she was a publisher. <laughs> so, she said, uh, we need to publish your story. We need to get it out there in the hairdressing industry and to the young people that you need to look after yourselves. Um, and I don't want to change it at all. I want, I want it written the way that you've written it and we did it. So, yeah, I, there was a bit of pushback from me in the beginning. I was just like, oh, no, that's, that's pretty personal. I don't want to people reading my story. But then I realised I need to tell my story. At the time I was diagnosed, there were not many 27-year-olds out there that was diagnosed with my type of breast cancer that I had. So I knew that I had to tell my story and I had to make a difference somehow. Yeah. See, again, the people are put in front of us to um, make sure make sure that we do that thing. And, and she's so right that, that it has to be out there. And, and I think that when we, when we think about um, what our, our thing, whatever that is, a product or service or whatever, whatever it is, is going to help beyond us, you know, it's going to help other people. We kind of, it kind of gets us out of our own way a little bit. You know, you know we step aside and say, well, I'm not doing this. It's not about whether how I feel. This is about um, the help I'm going to bring to other people. So, yeah. 100%. And that's why I do what I do. You know, it's, I know yeah. I'm making a difference to at least one person in the room or one reader of my book, then job's done. And, and, and you're spot on there. And I say that all the time. You don't have to change the world. You can make a difference to one person. You've been successful, you know, and that's that's your measure of success. Not everyone will agree with me. I don't give a shit, but you do. So that's great. And I'm only talking to you right now. So that's good. <laughs> Anyone else who's listening, but that's fantastic. So writing this book, did you face these kind of thoughts like, who am I to write this? Nobody's going to want to read it. Um, you know, this guilt for other people who, 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 who aren't going to survive. I mean, I know there are people facing that. I've only got three months to live, which is bloody horrible. And their families, are, for families of people who have passed, did you feel like this immense sense of guilt and I'm just Kate? And, like, how did you push past that? Like I, yeah, like I said earlier, I'm just Kate. I'm Kate, the country bumpkin. Um, so I had to push past that to start with. Like it's, who writes a book? Like which country chick writes a book and then and goes and publishes it? Um, so I had to get out of, my, like you said, get out of my own way. <laughs> I had to get out of my own way before I could um, to put it out there to everyone. And, and I touched on it earlier that who would want to read my journey? Like, and everybody's journey is different. So what, what's going to sell books that it's me? Like, 
And again, I haven't, I'm not, I'm not a celebrity. So how am I going to sell books with just Kate Gale? Mm. Um, but there are always going to be naysayers, whether or not you write a book, whether or not you do a podcast, whether or not you are a celebrity, not everyone's going to like you and not everybody is going to enjoy reading your, your book or your words or the way you write. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I did have a lot of pushback from myself there um, and I, I, I have a little bit of a, a saying with one of my girlfriends and, and it just started off as a silly thing but I've taught my girls to do it and um, it might sound a bit sassy but I always say don't hate me because you ain't me. Yeah. I've got to love myself before I can love anybody else. Yeah. So, you know, and we still say it as a joke. Like my girlfriend, you know, you get your hair done, she's got to love your hair. And I go, yeah, don't hate me because you ain't me. Um, but I still get really nervous when I go to speak at events or, um, you know, do podcasts or interviews and stuff. But I really rev myself up beforehand and I say it to myself, don't hate me because you ain't me, Kate, push through, you know, dream big. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, if, if I can help one person with my, my words, then I've done my job. And if you don't like my book, then that's fine. That's your choice. Um, but it did take me a long time to get to that point of um, being okay with that. Like even bringing it out in my, I live in Ballarat now and, and my hometown of Ballarat and I, you know, I had to be careful with using doctor's names or, <laughs> you know, yeah. the way that, you know, I was fobbed off in the beginning and mm. um, I had to be careful that way. And I was really scared to bring my book out or, you know, the breast is yet to come out in Ballarat because I was worried about the pushback from, um, you know, from the medical world. But um, quite the actual opposite happened. Um, and all my nurses that, that nursed me and um, some of my doctors <laughs> that treated me, they, they loved it. And, and they said that this needs to get out there for more medical staff to understand from a patient's point of view. Mm, yeah. And I'd never thought about it that way. So yeah, I was I was really happy that you know I pushed through the the naysayers and the the voices in my head saying you're not good enough or your words aren't good enough because I know I've made a difference here in Ballarat. I know um, that the medical world looks at things differently and does testing differently since I was diagnosed. So that in itself was a big thing. Yeah, yeah. And and like you say, you know, some people aren't going to like you and some gonna, aren't going to like the way you write. However, as we talked about that, that one person that you might save their life, your words and the way you write them and the way you speak it might be exactly what that person needs to hear to save their life, to, you know, and to make a difference to them. Even if when I say save their life, it might not, you know, they might get through cancer, but they still might be mentally unwell, Do you, you know, and, and you might be reading your words might be making them feel like, you know what, I feel okay about myself now, you know, because Kate went through that, you know, and I resonate with her. So I think that we're, 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 all of us do that kind of stuff. Who'd want to listen to me? You know, I don't care anymore. You know, I, I did. I used to think that a long time ago, but I've been on stage. I've been on stage since I was 15. So that's 43 years. So I, I really have well and truly gotten over the who wants to listen to me because I don't really care. Do you know, it's kind of like bad luck. But same with but this even, podcast. Even to see somebody, like to see, for, 
for somebody to see you on stage speaking and seeing how you just grasp life by the balls and do it, that's inspiring um, mm. to see me, you know, from another cancer patient's point of view, um, to see that I've got through it and to see that I'm okay and there is life after cancer. It doesn't always have to be a sentence. Yeah. Um, that's inspiring. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not just the words. It's, it's the way you... You yeah. take the time to speak to people or just to even visualise somebody that has been there and done it can get somebody through. Yep, uh, 100% agree. And you're right, people don't have to read your book. People don't have to listen to my podcast. That is perfectly fine because we're not here for those people. What we are here for are the people who need it, the people who want it, the people who, the people who resonate. And if we take ourselves out of the market um, because we fear what other people are going to say, those people who need us miss out. So we just have to keep uh, 100% keep plonking ourselves in there. Now, I, I want to get to this bit because I love this bit. Since I, I'm going to talk more about your other book in a minute because I had some great, some great laughs and some great, oh, my God, that's just up the road from me stuff. <laughs> Before we do, um, you, when we talked about your earlier goals, you said, I oh, just get married, have kids and hairdresser and, and, and no, no, no. There's something that you absolutely missed. And, you know, we, we've got to hear about this. You, if you could have married John, uh, John Farnham, you would have. Oh. No, we won't say that because Bob, your husband, Bob might be listening. But truly, you know, you've got this absolute um, love, 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 love. Love my JF. <laughs> Now, you, um, one of your lifelong goals was to meet him. And, you know, like we said at the very start, you're a go-getter. You bloody well go after what you want. And uh, you did get to meet him. Tell I us. Did. I tell did. Us. Uh, well, I have, my dad's a muso. So we have been brought up with all sorts of music, like, throughout my life. Like, I even like a good old yodel. But John Farnham was never in there. Like, I don't know where my love for John Farnham came from. I do remember walking into a shop in the sale um, centre and buying the Whispering Jack tape, the cassette tape, and opening it up, those tiny little words to, you know, sing along yeah. every word. Loved, loved John Farnham. So I've been to every concert I can imagine since, oh, you know, since I was old enough, since the parents will let me go. And he was coming to Ballarat for the Red Hot Summer Tour and there was a thing on the local radio station um, to give away uh, free VIP tickets, win VIP tickets to uh, the Red Hot Summer Tour that he was headlining. So, of course, I'm all over it. I've entered it um, and their Facebook page turned into a, come on, guys, you have to give this to Kate Gale. She is a huge John oh. fan. So lo and behold, it was going to be 8 o'clock that they, 8 a.m., they are going to announce it. And, oh, my God, I thought my heart was going to jump out of my chest. Like, even if I didn't win them, I was still going to this concert. I was going to buy the tickets, but I wanted those VIP tickets. And, uh, yeah, big drum roll. And then he, the radio announcer said, Kate Gale. Well, I cried like <laughs> a baby. Like, I screamed, I jumped, I cried. Anywho, the day that it came around and I was allowed to take a girlfriend with me, so I, I took my chemo buddy, Tabitha, with me and I was also allowed to take the girls. But it was 132 days from the day that I won those tickets to the day of the concert and I decided that I was going to start a Facebook 
countdown. <laughs> so for 132 days, I put a photo up of John Farnham and I never doubled up once. It was always a different photo. Wow. <laughs> and it would have a little caption on it, you know, come on, it's time to have a beer with Kate, John. Um, or lots of different ones. Long, I didn't know, but um, quite a few friends had been in touch or tried to make um, contact with his manager, Glenn Wheatley, and I'm sitting underneath this tree at uh, the Ballarat Gardens in 40-degree heat, and I get a phone call. At the concert? At the concert. Yeah. At the concert. And I, I get a phone call and it says, hello, Kate. And I said, yes. He says, Glenn Wheatley. And I went, no, it's not. He's <laughs> playing funny buggers with me. And he goes, no, it's really Glenn Wheatley. And I said, yeah, righto. What do you want then, Glenn? Still thinking someone's playing funny buggers with me. And he said, oh, I believe that you want to meet John. And I said, oh, who doesn't? I said, but, yeah, love to meet him. And he said, we'll be at the VIP entrance at 8 p.m. Um, you're coming backstage. And I went, sort of, a, the penny dropped. I went, what? He goes, we've been watching your, your countdown. Huh. And I went, oh, my God. So he said, please don't tell anybody sitting around you. We don't want to, you know, hysteria. Um, but who's, who's with you? And I saw Tabitha, my chemo bud, and my two daughters and said, 8 p.m., Security guards will bring you backstage. So 8 p.m. I was there and we got taken backstage and we got to meet all the band and a few of the other artists for the night. And then they took us around the back of the gazebo and I thought, what the hell are they doing? Like we're in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden John and Glenn started walking out. So <laughs> I got to spend, it was probably about 20, 25 minutes with him and um, he was so nervous. And I said, why are you nervous? I said, you're John Farnham. And he said, I hate meeting people like this. He said, because I want you to, I want to be who you think I am. I don't want you to walk away from here and thinking, oh, wow, I've loved this man forever and I've loved his music forever and I'm an asshole." <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And I went, I don't think that at all. I said, I think you're very humble and the fact that you've, you're interacting with my children and, and you're asking about me and, um, I said, no, I'm forever grateful. I said, but I do want to thank you for one thing. And he said, what's that? And I said, you sang Dare to Dream, a song with Olivia Newton-John um, at the Sydney Olympics at the opening ceremony. He said, yeah. And I said, every single day I played that song on the way to radiation. And I said, because it just made me go that little bit further and dig that little bit deeper that I can do this and I can get through it. And I used to cry all the way, the same same place, same time, every day, and I played that same song. And I said, but that was the reason I wanted to meet you because I wanted to thank you for that song. And, yeah, um, yeah then he started You're to well up. Me cry. And <laughs> well, he, he started to well up and he just said, he goes, that means everything to me, Kate, and he just hugged me, hugged me like your dad hugged you. <laughs> oh. So it was just amazing. But to be able to share that with tab who had sat beside me the entire way um through our treatments and that is a lifelong friendship that we should never have met in the way that we did but we have um, and to show my girls that no matter how big you dream you can make it happen so and I made it happen <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> oh, wow. I think there's a few people who'd be listening very jealous thinking, wow, man. And, and that you, you, you're absolutely right in that, in that um, you know, when you really put your mind to it, when you're really focused on something and you're really going to go at it, you can make things happen. You, you know, absolutely. You doing the Facebook page, the countdown, you know, it attracts attention. It's just yep. it's that stepping up, isn't it? Just stepping into something. Absolutely. And just the small things like my daughter, Bree, um, she just said the other day, and it was just one word that she said, and I thought, wow, you actually do listen to me. And she said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that out to the world, Mum. I'm going to manifest that. I'm like, yes. You know, it's like just the little things that you want to make happen, you can bloody well make it happen. Yeah. Oh, look, I believe in that. I believe you make a decision that you for something to happen, you put it out to the universe and then the universe starts to conspire to make it happen. And it's kind of really, it's about our, it's about our brain, you know, being switched on to focusing on, you know, looking for the things that we're actually looking for. But I think we, we underestimate the power of our own ability to manifest, you, you know, what we, what we want. So I, I, <laughs> I really love that story. Now we're all sort of excited. Everything's John Farnham, John Farnham. So we're, this is a bit of a roller coaster podcast for anyone listening so sorry guys i'm a bit up and down (laughs) (laughs) who's kate oh shit now she's got cancer um now she meets john varnum and writes a book and everything else but you know you're on you're on this road to recovery you've written your book i'm gonna help women and everything else i met john and we're all good sort of sort of you know it's good enough it's a good life kate's got everything she wants now i just want to have my kids and relax and get away from cancer then you get the big second kick in the guts and not you this time, but tell us about that. Yeah, so kick in the guts is exactly the way to put it. Um, my husband, Bob, was diagnosed with uh, renal cancer in, in 2012, actually, the year that I, um, I bought my first book out. Um, but only a month earlier, we, we lost my man to oh. bowel cancer. So, you know, we were sort of just... Anytime I hear that anybody is diagnosed with cancer, I feel like I've been kicked in the guts. Mm. Um, So to lose Nan and to know that Nan had to go through that, that was really hard. Um, But to be in an emergency room with your husband thinking that he had kidney stones um, and to see the head of emergency walk towards me and, and he looked after me quite a few times, so I knew him quite well. And I just knew by the look on his face and he, he put his hand on my shoulder And he said, um, we've found a tumour. And, yeah, that that moment, apart from me having to put my head between my knees and I just screamed um, because I couldn't believe that I was in that position again, um, that was a defining, that was the defining moment in my life that made me really sit back and reassess life and me. Um, because when you're going through a cancer diagnosis, you're, you, are, everybody goes through that cancer diagnosis. However, you're the one that's going through the treatment. So you have control to some degree of what's going to happen or you feel like you're doing something. And then when it's my husband, it was completely out of my hands and I just had to be that person to sit back and watch him go through hell that I knew what he was about to go through. Mm. So, yeah, 
that was a big kick in the guts for me. But at the same time, that was the moment my life changed in a big way, not because I had cancer, because somebody I loved so dearly had cancer. Mm. Yeah. So you were sort of um, flipped onto the opposite side of it. And uh, mm-hmm. what sort of, um, I don't know, I guess aha moments did you kind of have sitting on the other side of it thinking, oh, my God, is that what it was like? Is that oh. what it was like for him? Do you know, did he, was he feeling these things when he was trying to help me? And, you know. Yep. It, was, it was a bit of a sobering moment, actually, um, because my life revolved around me. And it's not that I made it about me, but it was Kate's got cancer, Kate has to have surgery, Kate has to have treatment, Kate this, Kate that, Kate, 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 Kate. And I actually had a girlfriend say to me who had been through breast cancer herself and she said, don't forget about Bob because he is going down this road with you Mm. and he can't, he feels like he can't do anything. Don't forget about Bob. And I didn't. I always had that in the back of my mind that you poor bugger, like I'm putting you through hell that, you know, we have to go to the hospital, we have to do this, I can't drive because I've had surgery. It was just it was just this massive big culmination of crap mm-hmm. and I put him through that. Um, and then when I was on the other side of it, it was, a like you said, it was an aha moment of, right, my life, the last five years has been about me this is now about him this is now about us this is a completely different look on life um and I was angry I was angry that it was us that was going through it again um you know I was pissed at the world I was annoyed at the doctors and stuff because it's just like are you for real like he's now he's got kidney stones it was just a complete and utter mind game that I didn't want to be in. I didn't want to be there. Um, but something just switched inside me and I went, you know, I've got to be there for him. He's done it for me. Now I have to do this for him. Um, and it's not about me. It's not all about me. Um, it's about, it's a bigger picture. It's a much bigger picture. And I have to change the way that I'm looking at cancer. Yeah. It's not about how much money I can raise or how much, awareness I can raise it was about not being front and center I I had to step back reassess and get my mind in the right position to help him because I wasn't okay and it was his diagnosis that I realized I'm not all right (laughs) I need help yeah yeah but I think it's also that the fact that you know you um when you're going through it, you feel like you're a burden on other people. But then, when when it's switched around and he's going through it, and you 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 want to help, and you you realize, well, he's not a burden. So maybe I wasn't a burden. Do you, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't as bad as as what I thought it was. And but there's a lot of guilt, and I think with with both his diagnosis and mine. Guilt from mine of I didn't like you said burden is a perfect word. I didn't want to be a burden on anybody. Mm. Um, but then there was a guilt from you know his part, his diagnosis that why, and I know it wasn't his fault, but why are we going through this again? And then I felt guilty that I was doing the why me. 
Mm. Um, and that's the first thing I say to people, don't do the why me because you're never going to get that answer. You're never going to get a definitive answer of why you have cancer. So don't go down that rabbit warren. But I did. Yes. <laughs> so it was the guilt that I had to, to drop on both parts. Um, and, yeah, just reassess and get my mind in the right place of we're both here. We're both okay now. Um, yeah, we were handed a really shit deal, but we're, we're okay. So turn, and this is my big thing, <laughs> turn the negative into a positive. Yeah. There is always a positive to a negative, so find it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the big positive with that is that um, so he had a tumour in his kidney. They got it all, took a kidney, unfortunately. But um, the good, so, the, so there's the positive. However, we got it again, didn't we? <laughs> I might as well jump in your story, you know. We've got to... yeah. <laughs> we did, we did. Um, yeah, a few years ago, Bob um, had a lump in his throat um, that the doctors sort of ummed and out about a lot. Um, and in the end, you know, the ear, nose and throat specialist said, yeah, it's a lump and it shouldn't be there, so it's going. Um so, yeah, luckily, um, it, it, you know, it was precancerous. It wasn't, we weren't in a world of trouble like we were the last two times. So, again, we had to go through the whole testing process and, and the surgeries and, and the worry and, and whatnot. But um, thankfully, this one had a bit of a smile at the end of it. We, we were okay. <laughs> You, you better start telling the universe from now on, right, that's it. We're, yeah. We've done it. We're, we're having a cancer-free life from now on. But, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, it, it, and, and I think you're right because, you know, you, you've, we don't know why it's we don't know why it's there. We you know well sometimes we do. I mean some some people can say well I played with chemicals all my life yeah. and and fair enough I can see it. But but most of the time that comes out of nowhere it's a shock. You know we we don't know what happened. But I think that uh, you know we're as we said before it's about that mental attitude. You know and it's about saying well I can't do anything. But if I let myself go down a really shitty negative narrative, it's actually going to do me more harm than yeah. good and, and the only I guess your best chance of survival other than treatments and that's that's debatable too do you, you know as to what treatments do to you but it is your positive mindset is probably the best the best um I can't think of the word the best weapon you know you've got to it is and it is a weapon mm. it's you know, that, that's another thing that I teach every single day. It's you, you need to be positive in anything, not just a cancer diagnosis, in anything. Yeah, life can throw us some really bad curveballs. Make them lessons though. Turn them into lessons and learn from them. Um, Tabitha actually said to me very early on, she said, you can't, you don't, you don't have a choice in the hand that you're dealt, but you have a choice in the way that you play it. Yeah. And and I live by that every single day. And, you know, I say that, you know, cancer's crap. Like cancer is an awful thing, but, and my parents hate me saying this, so sorry, mum and dad, but I am so thankful that I got cancer. Yeah. You, you could have stopped at me, though. You didn't have to do that, my <laughs> husband and, and whatnot. But I'm so thankful that I had cancer because I wouldn't be who I am today. 
I wouldn't be the person sharing my story and twice published, you know, author. I wouldn't be that person if it wasn't for cancer. So I am 100% head on heart so thankful that I walked a cancer road. Yeah. Most people say that and, and, and yet I get on stage quite often and say, for God's sake, don't wait for adversity. You know, just step into your best self, like be your best self before that shit has to hit us to make us wake up, you know. But yeah. I mean, I can talk too, you know, sometimes I get down a little bloody, you know, negative, negative little path. I mean, we all do it, but, you know, it's, it's, I, I keep waking myself up saying, Jesus Christ, you keep going down that path, something bad will happen, you know, and yep. you're going to be stuck with that bloody adversity and that'll be the kick in the guts to make your bloody get back on track. So get back on track now and move your ass. So now yep. you, um, the second book, here I am holding it up, but Kate's also got it in the background. Um, if you can see it, it's called Thanks for the Memories. I had cancer, but it never had me. This book is fantastic. And, you know, I'm a bit biased, actually, because um, you read you write it about living in sale. And, of course, that's where I live now. So as I'm reading it, I'm I'm imagining all the, you, you know, your nana and your, your grandparents' house and your you know, and I did email you and say, hey, is your nana's house that one out at near the, yes, yes, that's it, you know, and it's it's kind of like, you know, I guess when you can put two and two together and you put a place to the name and a face to the name and that sort of stuff, it's quite exciting. This book is really, um, it, it's it's fantastic because it, I think thanks for the memories and the kind of, you know, the play on the word memories, memories, you know, and you, you also finish it off talking to your girls about you know, um, so some life lessons in there about, you know, advice you'd give to your, to your girls. and But the memories are, you know, about your your life. And I, I, I've, lo- I've absolutely loved it. I'll talk about it in a minute. But um, you talked about um, your mama and papa, you know, your grandparents. Now, I when I was a little kid, you know, I named my grandparents mama and papa. And, I, and when I met Nikki, my partner, she was the first person I've ever met ever who calls her grandmother Mama. And then I'm reading your book and it says, oh, my, you know, my kids called them um, Mama and um, No, we called them, yeah, my kids called them Mama and Papa. Or you yeah. call, now I can't remember. I'm bloody yeah. making a fool of girl, myself. my kids yeah, that's called them Mama and Papa. Yeah. Mama and Papa. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, I love, like, you made me have all these just delightful memories so you're almost giving me thanks for the memories you know memories well we'll say memories but we used to go to my uh my grandparents house every Sunday night and you talk about this in the book and you know that stuff I mean I'm so glad that you but there's going to be other people our age you know or at least you know 40 plus who used to go to their Peck grandparents on Sunday night, we've lost a lot of that. And, you know, you you made this country girl just seem so so real and so, um, what's the word, like just like I knew you, do you know. And even if I didn't have those similarities in there, I, it, it's not kind of like this Kate Gale, this other person who had cancer and, you know, well, that's not really doesn't resonate with me it did because of your life you know and the way you wrote that and I I love it what 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 was the motivation for writing this book like the first one you kind of just got thrust into but what about this one um this one I started when Bob was diagnosed so 
again, I knew that the writing had helped me so much during my diagnosis that I went, you know what, let's go back there. Let's let's yeah. go there. This one's not so much of a diary. This is more I had to find when I realised that I wasn't okay and that I was allowing adversity to take over and I was allowing cancer to take over, um, I had to find a new normal because the old Kate had left the building. Like that that Kate left the day that I was diagnosed. Life changes. We all change. But I had just, you know, kept going, like rolled with it and and then I, you know, realised that I wasn't all right so I had to stop. So writing Thanks for the Memories was more about who am I? And Mm. I had to bring it back to where did I start? Where did I come from? Why am I so family orientated? Um, Mm. And the good things, you know, take the good things out of life. My my grandparents and my parents, they were the people and, well, I still look up to my parents. They're the people that I looked up to and I moulded myself on. So... I want my girls to have the same thing that I did growing up. I want them to have that relationship with their grandparents. I want them to look at Bob and I in the future and go, you know what, they're all right. Um, and, and they made our life, you know, what it is. They've mm. given us the memories. So, yeah, I had to go back to who am I and, and my new normal. Um, but then when I started writing that, there was other things that I sort of started looking at differently and, um, you know, there's one bit in there where I'm driving past the town hall in Ballarat and I noticed the flag flying on top of the town hall. I'd never noticed it. But then it started, you know, making me think, how many other things do we just go through life and not notice because we're busy or um, we just don't care to notice? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this, that's thanks for the memories is more about finding my new normal and taking back me taking back the the reins and I'm going to show my girls what life's about rather than crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and listening to Kate now, you know, you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to read that book because it's just about Kate's life and her legacy to her kids. Well, that's not, it, it's, it. yes, yes, in that sense that, you know, what how Kate's saying it, but um, when, you, but take it from me, you resonate with it. You know, it, it's kind of like a, a really lovely reminder for all of us to say, well, well, well life has taken us, may not be cancer, but it may be any other turn of events. You know, life has taken us on this journey and, and it's constantly pulling us away, always pulling us away from who we truly are and where our roots are, you know, and what has made us us. And to read that book, it really, really takes you back to start to think, who, who am I? You know, like, yeah, this is why, this is who, who I am today and this is why I am this person yeah. today because of, because of the past, because of the grounding I got. And you and I are coming, both coming from a, a place of having a great family and we can read it and, you know, or we can, you write it, me read it, think about you yeah, having a wonderful family and that is our foundation. There can also be people, though, that have had a, um, a, a shitty, shitty childhood but who can still read it and, and, and start to put things into perspective a bit better and say, shit, you know, you know, I didn't have it good, but I do now thanks to role models that I've had in my life and, you know. and I ask, I ask questions. I ask, yeah. I, you know, I want people to read those words and then, like you said, you sit there and you reflect on it and go, hmm, okay, that was a crappy part of my life, but look where I am now. 
Yeah. Or look where I can be or could be. Yeah. So it's, it's just a question. Question yourself and who you want to be, where you want to be, and make it happen. I no, but I love it. I, and these are legacies, and they're not just for your kids. They're, they're legacies because, as we talked about before, you know that book's now out there. And if which it won't, it, which it's not going to be this um, minim, minimal. I'm um, minimizing it absolutely. But even if there was only one person in the world that read that and it made their heart feel good or it made them feel like they could believe, and that's worth every goddamn word you wrote. Do you know it? It. 100% is and it's always going to be there. I, I love it. 100%. 100%. I still myself pick up my books and I can honestly say since bringing out The Breast is Yet to Come, I have never read that book from start to finish since it's been in a book form because by the time I got to the end of, you know, the editing process and, you know, the publishing and, and God, that's a story in itself, just, yep. you know. <laughs> <laughs> all the things that went wrong with publishing with both the books actually um I pick the books up and I open up and I read like a sentence and and it jogs my memory I go oh yeah <laughs> I forgot about that yeah so it's I don't know it's joy or joy wrapped up in in pages is the way I like to to look at it yeah uh- yeah, I love it. Well, I've never read either of mine either, other than the last proofread, and then that's it. But every yeah. now and then, I'm, I know I've got to update, get off the bench, because now I don't agree with some of the things I wrote. But uh, you know, but if I ever get there, I do. But if I don't, because uh, I've I've realised that when I wrote it, I had something in my head. But uh, when I read it back, I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I meant. You know. So, um, but anyway, oh, but, I'm hearing you. I'm yeah. hearing you. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't matter. Right, both of mine. <laughs> But where do you stop? <laughs> it is what it is, and I've had so many people saying to me, you know, that that book has, has kick-started my project. Ah, stacks of people. So, you know what, it's working, so we'll forget it. Now, you're speaking now, so now you're, you're doing speaking events and, and, you know, so what message, what's the main message that you're hoping to get across to people? Just to take control of your life, no matter what life throws at you. Like you can do anything if you put your mind to it. I like I've touched on it that I don't want to be defined as the cancer person. Like, and I know I speak at a lot of cancer events and and things like that. However, the my book, Thanks for the Memories, I had cancer, but it never had me. Like it says it all in that, it never had me. So anything, any adversity that's thrown in your direction, um, you can overcome it. Um, and, and that's the biggest thing I want to get out there to people, that if, if you want it, go for it. Grab it with both hands and run. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. And and funny enough now, you are now, you want to be a hairdresser, but then I know I read it in your book there, you know, that you're, you don't want to do that anymore that's done and now oddly enough um and it's kind of maybe they need you in there now you're working in in the health industry so yeah in the medical system so is that good bad or are you glutton for punishment or you just uh I love my job I never in a million years would I have thought that I would hang up the hairdressing scissors because it's everything I ever wanted to do um, but yeah, I got to a point where I just went, I, I don't love this anymore. Um, and I need a change. And I think that was, you know, once Bob had been diagnosed, I needed a new me. So I was going to completely have a new me. Um, and 
again, universe worked in my my favour and just speaking to a girlfriend and, and ended up having an interview for a receptionist at an allied health clinic. And I thought, perfect, casual job, not a problem. You know, I want to take some time out for me. So casual's fine with me. Um, and four years later, I'm now the practice manager of that allied health clinic. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Yeah. Kate Gale, the overachiever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I have come up against some ripping receptionists in my time um, with some really bad attitudes and some really crappy ways of dealing with people. And, and I just think being in the position that I am now, um, I've got empathy for people. I know that people are in a medical place for a reason like they're in pain or they're injured or and their mind's not necessarily in the nice place (laughs) so I find that a challenge like I try and you know somebody speaks to me rudely I understand why you're there and why you're speaking rudely so I find that a challenge to soften them up and 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 make them feel better and make them um, know that we actually care and that they come to us for a reason and we're going to help them so I love it. <laughs> and I think that that's you, you're always in fear. I don't care what anyone says. When you go into the doctors, you know, there's always an element of fear that's sitting always underneath been. there. And at some and we never behave normally or well, you know, when we're when we're struggling with fear. We've we're always defensive, we're always passive aggressive. And even if we don't mean to be, you know, that 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 fear just takes over. But yeah. Well, I'm glad you're there because um, we do need more empathy in a lot of <laughs> a lot of medical places. But now I, I always have this question, but I think you answered it. But I'm still going to uh, throw it at you. So because of get off the bench, you know, let's to inspire people to get up, get off the bench, take action. So, what advice would you give to people facing a serious illness, or perhaps are ready to give into it? Because that happens too. Just I give up, or maybe they feel hopeless. So, and keeping in mind that some people are, are losing their battle, but um, what, what advice would you give them to kick into life as best they can or, you know? Yeah, that's a really hard one to answer. However, yeah. I will always go back to the, the positive and the negative. Like, yes, you've been handed a terminal illness and, and you're not going to make it, but you can make it the best you can until the end. Yeah. Um, you know, same as, you know, any any serious illness, make the most of it. Like, yeah, you're going to have your crappy days, but the good days, make the most of them. So my, my motto every day is to dream big. Just keep dreaming big. But there's always hope, always yeah. some sort of hope to hold on to. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's probably difficult. Sorry, I put you on the spot. It's no. probably it's a terrible, terrible question. But you know, it's a, and that dream big. You know, you sent me a um a sticker, and I've got it on my uh I I've got it on my bathroom mirror down the bottom left over the bench. Kate says, send me a photo. I'm like, oh bloody hell! I'm gonna do gymnastics to get the bloody photo. But I've I've got the photo, so I'm gonna send. I've got it, so I'm gonna send it to you. But it's a it's a lovely. I look at it every day, and it's a a wonderful reminder. You know, just to give give another kick yeah just go for it go for it actually things have changed since i put that on there i'm just thinking i've been more productive than normal anyway there you, there you go <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic now where can people find you 
Okay, so yeah, all on um, Kate Gale Author, um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, and my website is kategaleauthor.com. Um, so you can learn a little bit more about me on there. You can buy my book, you can buy the Dream Big stickers, and um, also some blogs. I don't just stick to cancer-related blogs. I have a moment of, aha, I'm going to write about that. So, yes. yeah, there's a few blogs on there that you can also check out. Fantastic. And you can uh, book Kate as a speaker as well if you want to inspire a bunch of women, or not just women, men, you know, but if you if you want to, uh, a speaker that's going to talk about overcoming adversity or, you know, dreaming big and sort of um, taking on challenges and um you know, looking at it differently and positively, Kate's available. So I hope, you know, I'm sure you've enjoyed this and imagine how good Kate would be at your conference or at something else at your event. So, Kate, I have absolutely loved this. This has been brilliant. Um, we, you know, we finally got to it. I had hay fever two days ago and not to cancel, but um, this is, you, you, it's just been wonderful, wonderful, wonderful chatting with you and, you um, you're just doing some great stuff and I'm so, so bloody, I feel connected to you anyway because we're both country girls from the same place. And, but you know, Asian girls. <laughs> <laughs> but you're just, you, you're just, you're just wonderful. And, you know, to, to you speak, I love that you speak so frankly about all this stuff and uh, this is what we need more of. We need more honesty, yeah. conversation yeah. on the table, you know. And, and yeah, I keep it real. That's, that's how I speak and that's how I write. I, I like yeah. to... Just put it all out there on the table and and for people to ask me any question that they want to, like open book. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, I've got a question for you. No, I haven't. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just teasing you. <laughs> no, but this, this has been absolutely brilliant. So um, thank you for joining us. And Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure, and I'm looking forward to crossing paths one day in person and having a coffee with you. I reckon that'd be pretty, or maybe a beer. Maybe we better oh, get on heavy. Bring stuff. it on, bring it on, the old gippy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good on you. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. See ya. Oh, guys, how's that? That was I really, really, really enjoyed that conversation, and you know, I I know that. Um, not everybody's as fortunate as Kate that, you know, not everybody makes it through, but I think that, you know, we can, I, I think that sometimes, as Kate said, you know, we we let it define us and, you know, so like Kate saying, you know, I'm Kate with cancer, you know, or Kate's who's had cancer. And I think that sometimes we've got to sort of look beyond that and say, well, who's the person under that? And then what can we do to help other people feel less alone through it? And Kate writing those two books has just been a really wonderful thing to just, I don't know, to... to just to connect with people so that people read them and feel like, oh, I've felt that too. I went through that too. Um, this is normal, you know, and I'm not um, I'm not the only person going through it. So I think it's wonderful. If you want Kate to speak at an event, you know, get on the website, check her out. You want to grab one of the books, do that too. And I really hope you've enjoyed this. And she's certainly gotten off the bench. She just told me when we're hanging up, she's going to walk across the Nullarbor. I'm not joining her, but um, you might want to. So uh, I think just keep aiming high. And as she says, dream big. So that's it for me. Thank you very much for joining me again. And I will see you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. 
Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.